one year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. Instruction from Herb Lennon. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got variables to change the characters, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. It's great to be here, guys. Back after a hiatus of a few weeks. So it's good to be here, and the podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Check out Cots Bros for a full line of trapping supplies, traps and snares, an excellent selection of baits and lures, and a variety of other things you need to get going on the trap line. Brought to you by OnX Maps. Use your phone as a GPS on the trap line, and use state-of-the-art mapping technology in order to get the most out of your trapping experience or hunting or fishing or anything else that you do, Onyx Maps is the way to go. I mean, there's just so many different things you can do with this app. You can use it on your phone as well as the desktop app. They now have 3D for both Android and iPhones. Uh, it is uh, it is just uh, incredible the different things that you can do with Onyx. Go to onxmaps.com and the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, will give you 20% off of your first purchase. And uh, the, the code was down for a little while. I believe we have that back up and running. So if you have any issues with the promo code, just let me know. And I'll make sure we get that fixed right off. But uh, thanks, Cotsbros and Onyx Maps for sponsoring the show. And uh, we're also sponsored by my new book, More Than Wolverine, an Alaska Wilderness Trap Line. If you haven't checked it out, please do. You can get it on Amazon or you can get a signed copy from trappingtodaystore.com. And uh, I would absolutely love it if you guys would go ahead and leave some more reviews on Amazon because that will help more people find out about the book. So far, the book has 19 ratings and 4.9 out of 5 stars on Amazon. So that's great. Uh, we I'd love to get some more ratings up there. It looks like from based on the ratings, a lot of... Uh, the, the people who have purchased the book are podcast listeners. Um, I really want to uh, get some people that are just have absolutely no background in trapping whatsoever to more, more of those people to read the book. So uh, I'm not sure exactly how to do that other than just trying to gain a little bit more momentum uh, with the reviews. And I'm doing some advertising and that's working a little bit, but um, it's not really blowing up like I had hoped. I mean, it's selling a lot of copies, but it's mostly just uh, us in the trapping community, which is great. But, uh, you know, it's it's nice to, I, I'd like more people to, uh, to find it. Um, I'll probably, uh, let's read a couple of the reviews here. Dan says, thanks, Jeremiah, for bringing us along with you on your trip to Alaska. Maybe someday I'll be able to make the trip of a lifetime like what you explained in your book. James B., awesome book, well-written, hard to put down. Jeremiah summed up my dreams of trapping Alaska. Amanda Holmes, love Jeremiah's Trapping Today podcast. He's an awesome writer. Thanks. Uh, Megan Heiss, very good book, kept my attention all the way through. Very good read. Uh, One thing a lot of people have observed is it is a very fast read you'll you'll uh, be able to read through it um, pretty quickly um, daniel j uh, author jeremiah wood has a unique ability to simultaneously tell a story educate about the trap line just be super duper entertaining all at the same time everyone everyone should buy this book and others he has available thanks daniel j jg great book glad jeremiah got to experience alaska trapping uh, Dirt Farmer, great read, highly recommended. So thanks uh, to you guys, and and uh, again, more reviews is good, so go ahead and do that if you don't mind. 
So what's going on with me? I am completely out of trapping mode this time of year. And uh, I'm taking advantage of the long hiatus from doing the podcast and uh, using that time to do a lot of things that uh, I have uh, been needing to do in other aspects of life. And one of the big things is the, the cattle farm operation that I have here in northern Maine. And we've, uh, we're, we're almost calved, all calved out. Uh, we've got 20... 20, 21 calves on the ground, a few more to go, and uh, that's that's gone great. But now it's time to get ready for hay season. So in about three, four weeks, I will be hopefully cutting hay if the weather cooperates. So uh, we've been simultaneously planting the garden, and I've been working on tractors and machinery, but uh, just got kind of forced inside. Uh, we got a big thunder shower and now it's been kind of a steady rain here. So it's kind of forced me to go inside. Oh, I guess I better go do the podcast that I've been supposed to be doing for uh, about two weeks now. I, I kind of had this planned. <laughs> so that's what's going on with me. I got a lot to do this summer. So I'm, I'm, I'm still looking at about a monthly schedule, I think. And, and I think that we will get uh, back into more uh, more regular maybe every two weeks possibly even every week during the trapping season i think that's going to be a good time for me and and there'll be just more trapping will be on the mind for both myself and you guys um and and there'll be a lot more things to talk about um not not really much news in the trapping world other than the fur market is basically toast um as as we've been talking about before there's uh, everything that's gone on in the world economy basically has made it almost impossible to sell fur so uh, that's uh, that's not a good thing but that's just kind of the way it is and a lot of us trap for far more than just fur anyway so um, but but that's that's what's going on there that may be a challenge this year for the amount of trapping people do that combined low fur prices combined with the high gas prices uh, is going to make it quite difficult I think for most people but that being said, we will soldier along, and this uh, episode is going to be something that I've been uh, planning to do for quite a long time, and I'm finally going to get around to it. We're going to talk about snaring. So other than one or two episodes on under ice beaver snaring that I did, and other than the interviews with Ron Jones where he talked about snaring, basically we haven't covered snaring at all on the podcast. There are a couple of reasons for that. One reason is that other than under ice, snaring is illegal in Maine. You can you can snare for beaver under the ice and you can snare for bear and that's it. So uh, the majority of snaring that trappers do in other states is illegal to do in my state, unfortunately. And so it's been a, a case where I really haven't thought about it much and I haven't gotten a lot of experience snaring. I am uh, nowhere near a proficient snare operator uh, I've done some snaring when I trapped in Utah and in Montana I've done of course the under ice stuff here in Maine and uh, of course we snared in Alaska but I was only there for a couple weeks so I, I can't really say I got a whole lot of experience uh, doing that but I did learn learn some uh, variety of different methods that I, I didn't know before uh, particularly for lynx and wolf so that's that's kind of why one of the reasons why I haven't done much on snaring is because I don't do much of any snaring at all. And the other reason is I just hadn't thought about it. And I, I hadn't planned to do anything until somebody emailed me a little while back and said, Hey, what do you think about maybe doing an episode or two on just kind of like beginner basics of snaring? for people who are just getting started. And so I thought about that a while and I thought, well, I don't know much about snaring. I'm not uh, a pro by any means, but I bet I know enough to give guys and gals a, uh, a little introduction to get started on snaring. So that's what we're going to do in tonight's episode. We're going to call this, I guess, uh, a beginner's guide to snaring. So I guess we better start off by just talking about what a snare is and, and what it does. What's it, what, what's it designed to do? And very basically, a snare is a piece of material, either wire or rope, that is fashioned into a loop 
that is used to cinch down on an animal and capture it. That's very basic. Now, the history of snaring goes back to the old times when the uh, early indigenous people in many different places would capture animals with snares that were fashioned out of uh, rope-like material that could have been made from tree roots or animal hairs or hides that were kind of sewn and tied together uh, in order to make a loop that would tighten over an animal as an animal passed through uh, in its travel way. The problem back then with the very basic early designs of snares is that it was very difficult to actually hold an animal once the loop tightened up down over them. And for that reason, uh, people had to use tension in order to keep an animal caught when it, when it uh, walked into a snare. So what the common uh, snare device to happened to, to be was something of a, a loop of, of plant, plant material or, or animal material that was kind of woven together that was placed on a trail and was set with a tensioning device, which would oftentimes be like a, a tree that was bent over and kind of caught that when the snare was pulled a certain distance, that would uh, trigger a release that would allow that tree to spring back up. So you'd have like this spring pole and that would tighten the noose over the animal and have them kind of hanging up in the air caught. So that was one of the early basic snaring designs. Obviously, we've come a long way since then, and uh, that type of snaring is not uh, in uh, in use anymore. However, it's a lot of people when they hear the word snaring, that's kind of what comes to mind some some old school jungle type tactics. But in reality, snaring is incredibly advanced these days there are so many different aspects of it and so many different types of snares and modifications that can essentially allow you to do almost anything you want with a snare setup it really is quite fascinating what we have available these days so we'll go through what a modern snare is and what it what it looks like what it's made up of and uh, we'll talk about all the different parts of the snare uh, and how it's set up and, and hopefully that'll give us a chance to really go through all these details on on how these snares work so the modern snare is made up of uh, wire or cable and typically what we're using is galvanized aircraft cable that is woven uh, together in a way that allows it to have superior strength and flexibility there are, of course, a number of different types of cable you could use that are not galvanized aircraft cable. You could use stainless steel cable, which is essentially the same thing as galvanized aircraft, except it's far more expensive um, and and more rust resistant. You might use that maybe if you're you're uh, snaring in a coastal area with salt water that that would tend to really wear on on a cable and, and tend to be corrosive. You could use picture wire uh, for like really small animals, like rabbit snaring is often you, uh, done using picture wire material. But the vast majority of what people are using these days is galvanized aircraft cable. It provides a very good compromise between the effectiveness and the cost. You can really make a lot of snares and uh, do it very, very cost effective. And, uh, and, and the galvanized aircraft cable just works excellent. Now, when we're talking about cable, there are two different characteristics of the cable that are very important. One is going to be the diameter of the cable, the size. And the other is the construction, how that cable is put together. So let's talk first about construction. There are a variety of different ways that cable can be made. And it, it's basically just a bunch of small wires that are kind of coiled together um, in order to form a larger wire. 
and you could see this with not only with cable but also with rope you know rope is woven a bunch of different ways and it makes for different types of rope and and different characteristics and strength and everything it's the same way with aircraft cable so what we're going to talk about is the most common types of cable construction in that are used for snaring that is seven by seven seven by 19 and one by 19 and really the two that are the most common are going to be seven by seven and one by 19 these numbers simply refer to the pattern in which these wires are woven together so seven by seven is seven bundles of seven wires per bundle that are spiral woven together to create the cable so basically if you had a seven by seven cable in front of you and you took it apart you would unwind seven different pieces of strand pieces of cable and each of those pieces of cable would have seven wires wound up together to form that piece of cable and so you could unbundle and unwind each of those pieces of cable to get seven individual strands and so you'd have technically there are 49 strands of wire that are woven together to form a seven by seven piece of cable and the same way uh, with the seven by 19 there are seven bundles of cable that are woven together and each bundle has 19 strands of wire woven together to form that bundle so 7 times 19 is the amount of individual strands of wire that you would have on that cable um, and more simply the 1 by 19 cable just simply has 19 individual strands of wire woven together to form one cable so these three types of construction in the same diameter cable uh, have very different uh, characteristics and they act very different from each other that's why there are you know different options that we use in snaring now first off I'll say the 7 by 19 is not used very commonly uh, at least in my experience I have never used it that I'm aware of and uh, I don't know anybody who exclusively uses it I think it's just uh, it's very uncommon it tends to be a slow and uh, a slower cable it tends to be less strong it's weaker break strength and it's very uh, it's supple it doesn't really hold a, uh, a shape very well it, it's just really kind of droopy um, so so mainly what we're talking about is the 7x7 cable and the 1x19 cable and so when you look at these two cables side by side say you have uh, oh we're gonna we're gonna look at say 330 seconds cable and so they're both the same diameter, both 330 seconds of an inch diameter. One is 7 by 7 and one is 1 by 19. So what are the differences between those two? Um, well, obviously the, the makeup is, is um, going to describe uh, those cables. So again, you have the 7 by 7, 7 bundles of 7 strands. And the 1 by 19 is one bundle of 19 strands. So what does that mean? Well, that's going to translate into... Uh, the 7x7 seven seven cable is going to be much more supple and flexible. The 1x19 is going to be a stiffer cable. The 1x19 is going to be stronger as far as breaking strength, but it probably is going to tend to be able to kink a little bit more because it, it, uh, it is a stiffer cable. And so you might have issues with, uh, with uh, damaging the cable after period, re repeated use. Um, the 7x7 seven seven, because it's weaker it's not going to form a shape as well as the 1x19 the 1x19 you can load it really nicely um, maybe in a future episode we'll talk about loading snares and what that's all about for those of you who aren't experienced with it um, it's a faster snare so when it fires it's going to tend to close quicker than uh, the 7x7 seven seven. Um, but it's, uh, it's maybe not going to be able to uh, conform to different shapes uh, as easy it's, it's not because of its lack of flexibility um, and and in some cases uh, having a fast firing snare may be a disadvantage uh, in an area that maybe you get like a lot of wind 
and those snares can kind of fire off just from the action of the wind, some stuff like that. So those are basically what we're going to be looking at, the two main types of cables, 7x7, 1x19, and those are the characteristics uh, as a general rule of those two types of cable. So uh, you, you may find uh, that certain types work better or worse in certain situations. I will say that the traditionally the under ice beaver snaring that I'm experienced with almost exclusively uses 7x7 cable. Um, I have actually uh, picked up some 1x19 to experiment here next time I do some under ice beaver trapping, beaver snaring, because I, I am kind of curious to see how that might compare. But uh, all that I have used in the past and everybody I have uh, been around has used, uh, has been 7x7. Seven seven. When I was in Alaska, all of the link snares that we used were 1x19. So uh, it's just it's just gonna depend. It's gonna vary. Um, the I remember out in Montana when I was uh, doing a little bit of coyote snaring, and uh, bought some snares and supplies. Uh, most of the stuff that was that I found for sale was one by nineteen. Not to say that's all that was used, but I I remember that being uh, pretty common in in coyote snares. Now the second characteristic of cable is going to be the diameter. The diameter of cable is very important because the diameter is going to determine the strength of a given type of cable and it's going to determine things like is an animal likely to see this cable? Um, is the cable going to hold up relative to the loop size that I'm making? Is the cable going to leave marks, uh, snare marks in an animal when they're caught? or do damage to the fur, things like that. So diameter is really important. And there are a wide variety of different diameters that are used in the snaring business. Um, they range all the way from 1 32nd of an inch to 3 16th of an inch. And uh, I am going to refer to the snare shop website. And this is snareshop.com because I I have experience with several different cable sizes, but not the wide range. And Snare Shop has an excellent description of all the, the well, not only they have an, a great overview, if you want kind of a written version of a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about in this episode, but they also have a great description of what different diameter snare cable is used for. So, from 132nd of an inch to 316th of an inch is the, the wide range in cable. Um, 316th is going to be used like in foot snares, particularly for bear snaring. And 132nd, the, all in the small end, is going to be like squirrels and marten and, uh, and, and, and animals like that. So a very, very, very wide range of cable diameters. Those are not going to be very commonly used in most of the snaring that we're going to do. Um, the just a quick note on fractions these are all using different denominators uh, so there's not a common denominator that to make it easy to understand uh, how these cable sizes compare to each other uh, but you can kind of do the math in your head uh, when we talk about these diameters for instance 132nd of an inch the next size up is going to be 364ths of an inch so Basically, if you convert 132nd, that would be 264ths, and the next size up is 364ths. The next size up from that is 116th of an inch, which is actually 464ths, and the next size is 564ths. Then you have 332nds, which is 664ths. And so these are all kind of uh, going up by a 64th of an inch, um, but we're using the least common denominator uh, convention in, in fractions uh, to describe these cables because that's just what the industry and that's what the world does. <laughs> so, so it could sound confusing, but it's really not that confusing. So the 364 is another real small cable. That's going to be mink, squirrel, rabbit snaring. Sixteenth of an inch is where you start to get into the more commonly used snares. We're, we're talking 16th of an inch, 564th, and 332nd, uh, I think are going to be used most uh, in the trapping industry as a whole. 
So 16th of an inch is Snare Shop recommends this for bobcat, fox, rabbit, groundhog, possum, etc. Um, and they say some trappers actually use a 16th inch cable at a 1x19 configuration uh, for coyotes with a dispatch spring and kill pole. So uh, we'll talk about those two things later on. But, um, it, you know, a lot of the, these cases you can have some uh, unique uses for certain diameters, but we'll just talk mainly about what these are mostly used for. 564ths is going to be used for bobcat, fox, raccoon, and coyote generally. Coyote, again, that'll be in the 1 by 19 configuration because it's going to be tend to be stronger. Um, and 332nds is used mainly for raccoon, coyote, fox, beaver, badger, and uh, in some cases, wolf. So 332nds is the most popular size for snaring overall. Uh, 564 being just a little smaller than that, I think is, is fairly popular as well. Um, and then 764 is going to be used maybe for your kind of your larger animals and, and then up into 1 8th. So, um, so yeah, 332 uh, pretty standard for most of the land snaring that you're going to do and probably under ice beaver snaring or underwater beaver snaring. Um, I use 564ths for under ice beaver and actually the traditional main under ice beaver snare men are typically using 16th of an inch. Uh, I, I really don't like using that, um, but but 564 works quite nice. 330 seconds is kind of big, bigger than what you need, um, but it does hold together really nicely and uh, it's pretty durable. Moving up into 764s, coyote, they have bear cub on here, but I don't know why you'd want to snare a bear cub. Uh, small alligator, wild hog, wolf, eighth inch, coyote, bear, alligator, wild hog, and wolf. 5.30 seconds, bear, alligator, wild hog, and 3.16 large bear foot in foot snares. So those are our different diameters of cable, but again, uh, mainly 3.30 seconds is what most of us are going to use, and we may vary on each end of that. We'll probably tend to be more commonly using a little bit smaller than 3.30 seconds if, if we're not using that. So now that we've discussed our type of cable used in a snare, how it's constructed, the diameter of the cable, let's talk about the different parts of the snare um, that actually turn this cable into a functioning snare that's going to catch and hold an animal. So we, we, we have the cable. Here are some of the different parts I'm going to talk about. These are the more commonly used snare parts that will become part of this uh, cable snare. We have the lock, the stop, the swivel, support wire, whammy, dispatch spring, and breakaway. And there are going to be other things uh, that are that are that could be parts of some snares that we probably won't talk to talk about. But uh, we'll we'll go over these snare parts uh, because they are going to be the most common, and they're going to make up the complete snare for the vast majority of situations. So. Maybe the most important, yeah, definitely the most important part of a snare, in my opinion, other than the cable, is going to be the lock. What does a lock do? A lock is a device that allows a snare loop to close, but not to open back up. And the lock was critical in transitioning us from the caveman uh, snaring method where we would have like a spring pole that we had to suspend an animal up in the air to keep them held and caught to the modern day snaring methods where we can catch close down a cable on an animal and not allow that cable to be opened back up that is how an animal gets caught they they walk through the cable with their body uh, regardless you know could be any part of their body depending on how this is designed and set up but for the most part they're going to walk through probably with their head and the snare is going to be caught over their neck as they continue to move through that cable it is going to tighten down and the lock is going to slide down the cable as the loop gets smaller and smaller and smaller and as that starts to tighten around the animal it will try to get away and pull that open and the lock is going to 
disallow the loop from opening back up. So that is your catch device, essentially a, a loop that uh, closes around a part of an animal and does not open back up. There are so many different types of locks in the industry. It is almost impossible to keep up with it unless you are a regular uh, professional snare user. <laughs> so they're just the locks, the designs of different locks, different people have designed all different forms and figures and types and different functions of locks. They're just, uh, it, it is incredible the ingenuity that has uh, come together to basically make snares work in different ways. So all, while all of the locks serve the same function in the sense that they allow a cable loop to close but not reopen, when it comes to the fine detail and how that takes place, it is very different from lock to lock. And uh, some places where you're going to be snaring, you you have to, as much or more than any other type of trapping, you really need to be on top of your game with state regulations because they vary from state to state. And, and snaring locks are going to be something that's probably... Uh, very specifically regulated in your state. And so, some states have only certain types of locks that they allow. But as far as locks go, although there are such a wide variety of types of locks, we can basically split them up into two different lock functions. One is called the relaxing lock and one is the non-relaxing lock. And in general, now this can vary so much because of different parts of the design. You can actually have certain locks that are supposed to act a certain way, but if you set up the rest of the cable differently, they act differently. Uh, but as a general rule, relaxing locks are meant to allow the animal to be held alive in the snare. And this is where instead of a snare, you, this device can be called a cable restraint. Because basically just restraining an animal, it's like holding a dog on a leash in a lot of ways. So a relaxing lock is generally going to keep an animal alive. And a non-relaxing lock is generally going to be designed to provide a quick kill of an animal. And so it's going to, a non-relaxing lock is going to tighten down and not allow any uh, relief. It's not going to allow that cable to open back up at all. Whereas a relaxing lock is going to tighten down and it's going to have just enough leeway that it can open up a little bit. Um, the loop size can open up a little bit while uh, the position of the top of the lock on the cable does not change. It's just the bottom part of the lock, the kind of the cam uh, swivel action is going to have more play in it, if that makes any sense, uh, where if I, if I was on YouTube right now, I would be able to show you. I have a, I'm holding a snare in my hand right now, and I'm kind of wobbling uh, this part, the lower part of the lock back and forth to uh, show how it, it allows a little bit of opening action. Um, but but that's that's going to allow just enough so that you're still still going to have blood flow and air flow. The animal's still going to be able to breathe and everything, and, and they're going to be held there alive for you uh, when you get there. So relaxing and non-relaxing are the two main types, um, but when you go beyond that, there are just a, a plethora of different designs. Um, the one I'm holding in my hand uh, is a wedge lock. Um, this is similar to the probably the most common type of lock and the one I've used the most, which is a cam lock. Um, you have cam locks with and without teeth. Uh, cam locks are designed to, to tighten down very mechanically and not loosen back up at all. You have uh, BMI slide free lock, you have micro lock, washer lock, um, penny lock. Basically a washer lock is just a, a bent washer with uh, a hole drilled, a couple of holes drilled through it, one on each side. Uh, you have Berkshire locks, or Sher Berkshire Sherlock's. Uh, Slim Lock, I believe designed by Slim Peterson, maybe. Um, bullet Lock, Gauze Bullet Lock, I've never used one of those. Gregerson Locks, Relax-A-Lock, which is your, your typical relaxing lock. Adams Lock, 
I've, I've never used that. I've actually never seen that on a snare. Um, yeah, it just goes on and on. There's tons of different uh, options for snare locks. But you get the picture. You know, you could try a variety of different things. But a lock basically allows the snare loop to close and not open back up. It has revolutionized modern day snaring. Now, as that loop is closing, how closed, how much closed can it go? <laughs> um, how tight can that loop go? How small can that loop get? Well, in a lot of snares, it can get all the way down to the smallest item that could be caught in the snare. But not always, because you're oftentimes going to have state regulations, or you might decide you want to do this on your snares voluntarily, that are going to uh, cap the amount of uh, cinching down and tightening that that loop can get to. In other words, you are going to minimize uh, or sorry, you're going to limit how small that loop can get. And you're going to do that by using a stop. A stop is simply a, um, a piece of metal that is usually crimped down on the snare cable that when the lock hits it, it cannot move any further. And so it's going to be a part of your loop. And as the loop cinches down, the lock is sliding along the cable. The loop's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the lock hits the stop. And that's as small as your loop is going to get. And some states have uh, certain regulations that only allow a loop to be, say, maybe two inches in diameter maybe three inches in diameter, something like that. And the reason for that is non-target animals that might be caught in your snare. And the most common would be something like a deer. And so uh, many states have regulations on deer stops that uh, require these stops to be placed in such a manner that the loop can only get so small so it can't close on a deer's foot and hold the deer by the foot. Because you don't want deer bunch of deer walking around with uh, snares hanging from their legs and so uh, if a deer walks through your trail and steps foot in your snare and continues along the loop tightens down over their leg uh, the the lock hits the stop the loop is at its smallest size it can get and the deer gets to the end of the snare and is able to pull their foot right out of it because the loop is is bigger than the diameter of their hoof you also have this with bears, um, and when you're bear snaring in Maine, for instance, the loop can't be any smaller than the diameter of a Coke can, a soda can, and the reason for that is to eliminate capture of not only non-targets, but uh, smaller bears. So bear cubs are incredibly unlikely to be caught if you're, if you limit your, uh, if you you put that legally required stop on. So uh, the stops are, are basically designed uh, to eliminate non-target catches, primarily foot catches. And another interesting use of the stop, if you go back and listen to the Ron Jones podcast episode where we talked about snaring in detail, his, his snaring in New Jersey, actually they use stops to turn their snares into cable restraints um, and and make them non-lethal, which is very interesting. They have I can't remember exactly what the the loop size is where the stop is, but he says when they're snaring for like foxes and coyotes, that animal will go through the snare, it'll run, tighten down the cable, hit the stop. When when it hits the stop, it forms a kink in the cable, and that kink is what holds that and keeps that um if i remember right that's what keeps turns that snare into kind of a relaxing lock where um it it, it kind of it provides a stop to prevent the snare from doing lethal damage and it also provides uh, a, a quite flexible cable that's going to hold the animal but, but is um is going to uh you know, not, not cause a bunch of damage. So you've got the cable, the lock, and the stop. 
Let's talk about swivels. So what does a swivel do on a snare? Um, as you can imagine, an animal gets caught in a snare. The snare is anchored down and they are going to struggle. They're going to be running around trying to get out. They uh, may get twisted up into different vegetation or uh, debris or whatever. And they can tend to twist and twist and twist that cable. And as the cable is under a lot of stress and pressure and a lot of pulling and it gets twisted and twisted and twisted, that can weaken the wires and that can cause the cable to break and you lose the animal. So a swivel simply uh, allows, as that animal is twisting in the snare, it allows the cable to twist and spin along with the spinning cable, uh, along with the spinning animal, and so uh, you have less twisting that's going to weaken your snare cable. So swivels are typically, they can be mounted basically uh, anywhere they can um, on the snare, but typically they're they're gonna be, they, well they can't be mounted anywhere, I'd, excuse me, um, <laughs> uh, showing my lack of experience. They they need to be obviously behind the lock. Um, they could be all the way to the point where your snare is anchored to the ground or to a tree, or they can be right up to uh, where your support cable ties into uh, the snare as long as they're behind the lock. Once the animal's caught and they, they spin, it's going to allow free free swiveling of the snare. Support wire. So a support wire is, it may or may not be part of the snare. What I'm holding in my hands is an Alaska Lynx snare that was constructed by Jim Furman for Canada Lynx up in interior Alaska. And the way that he made this, it has, uh, I believe this is probably 11 gauge wire. Um, and it is formed into and as part of the snare. And this 11 gauge wire is used to uh, anchor the snare and also be the support wire. So it's a really stiff wire. It's attached to the end of the snare. And you wrap it, one end of it around a tree. And then you kind of bend the wire in whatever direction, up or down or side to side, uh, that you want it in order to position the snare exactly in the travel way of the animal where you want to uh, have your highest likelihood of making a catch. So the the support wire basically holds the snare where you want it to be. Otherwise, you're not going to have much luck getting a snare hung and staying where you want it. Um, now, it does not have to be built in as part of the snare. Uh, all, this one is, but many of them are not. You can have an independent snare and you can have a support wire that is tied down to a tree or to the ground or to a stake or whatever and extended out over the trail or the travel way and then you can attach that to your snare or attach your snare loop to the support wire in order to get your snare positioned where you want it and how is that attached well moving on to the next item uh, that is the support collar or uh, this is often referred to as the whammy and a whammy is simply a support collar that allows you to attach your support wire to your snare cable oftentimes that whammy or that support collar is going to be built into the snare um, and, well it, it typically is and this is going to be often a coiled piece of coiled wire like a almost like a, a tightly coiled spring um, it can be something as simple as uh, a lot of my under ice beaver snares my support collar is a piece of vinyl pvc tubing that is threaded onto the snare cable behind the lock and it is sized so that the support wire just slides into the tubing and the tubing being on the snare cable is going to uh, allow the snare to track whatever uh, direction the support wire is going and height, elevation, and everything else. The next part of the snare we'll talk about is an optional part and, and it may be uh, something that is very commonly used or it may be not used at all or it may not even be legal depending on the type of snaring that you're doing. That is called a dispatch spring. 
And a dispatch spring, as the name implies, is made for killing quick kill snares. So you're not going to ever use the dispatch string for cable restraints. Uh, it would defeat the purpose. Uh, this is kind of a humane way where if you're snaring in a place where you want to provide, you're going to kill whatever is getting caught, you know, whatever your target animal is, and you're not, you don't have any concerns about non-targets like pets, uh, dogs, or, um, or other animals that you want to be able to release. You know, if you're in the middle of the wilderness and, or you're on private land and no, nobody's dogs are supposed to be there at all and you're say you're snaring coyotes and you want to have a quick humane kill oftentimes you'll use a dispatch spring dispatch spring is going to be on the very end of your snare um, right before your stop and the stop on the end of the snare is basically what uh, holds the loop from allows the loop to be a loop <laughs> between your lock as your lock is cinching down um, other than your deer stop, which you may or may not have, um, it's going to cinch down all the way till it's completely closed. And the only thing that's keeping that lock on the cable is going to be that stop at the very end of the snare. Now, that stop is typically going to be right up against the bottom part of your lock. However, if you use a dispatch spring, that spring is going to go between the lock and the stop. What that spring is going to do is as an animal cinches down the snare, gets caught, the lock keeps the snare from opening back up. The spring, as the animal pulls, the harder the animal pulls, the more it compresses the dispatch spring and the more pressure is exerted back onto the cable to keep the cable tightened down. And so the harder the animal pulls, the tighter that cable is going to pull back against it. And, uh, and what that's going to do is... It's going to provide um, a much tighter compression and a quicker kill, a quicker dispatch of the animal. So it's a it's a real humane thing if you want to provide quick kills. Um, the other important thing about a dispatch spring is if you have an animal that tends to fight the snares a lot, you have a wire, a cable that you're concerned might be a little undersized for this animal. For instance, we were lynx snaring in Alaska, and we caught... Um, we caught a wolverine on a 16-inch 1x19 snare that probably most wolverines would have chewed through, but the dispatch spring provided a quick kill and allowed that wolverine to be dispatched before it could chew out um, or break out of that snare. And speaking of breaking out of the snare, the final part of snare part we're going to talk about is the breakaway. And a breakaway is going to be like, uh, remember I said the, you know, you got your stop is going to be the only thing connecting uh, uh, between your, basically the end of your snare where your lower, the lower part of your lock is. Well, not if you use a breakaway. A breakaway is a steel loop that can be, a lot of times they're like S hooks and it's a piece of steel that is designed to break apart at a certain level of pressure. So uh, X number of pounds of pressure will cause that loop to open up. And so you're going to have that attached to the bottom part of your lock um, and to the end of your snare cable. And if an animal that is larger than what you're targeting that should not be caught as an incidental catch is caught in that snare they are powerful enough to run again and exert pressure against that snare such that they are able to pull that breakaway apart and when that breakaway comes apart your snare loop opens right up and you got no loop there it's just a, a strand of wire sticking out on the ground and that animal's free. So the most common use of a breakaway that I am aware of is they were required when I was in Utah for uh, incidental catch of mountain lions. I think if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, breakaways were used so that when you were coyote snaring, say out in the desert, and 
you happen to catch accidentally uh, have a mountain lion go through your snare, the the coyote would, even with that breakaway on there, a coyote would not be able to um, to break that open in most cases. So a coyote would uh, cinch the snare down and become dispatched. But a mountain lion has so much strength and power that it would be able to exert enough force to break that breakaway open and get out of the snare. So that's the most common. Um, they're probably used in a lot of other applications for other animals as well. That's just the one that comes to mind for me. Um, but that's the breakaway, kind of uh, similar to maybe your uh, your stop in a lot of ways is trying to eliminate uh, capture of non-targets. So guys, in a nutshell, that was snaring for beginners, I guess. That was kind of went through the description of how a snare is constructed. Um, talk all the way from cable to locks, stop, swivel, support wire, support collar, dispatch spring, breakaway, and, uh, and how those different parts of a snare uh, work together to provide whatever outcome that you want in snaring. Um, as you, if if you're new to this and you're listening in, and you've never snared before, this may be a little bit overwhelming. But I would encourage you to, uh, you know, work your way into it. Uh, pick up a few different types of snares and kind of practice with them. Uh, study them a little bit. See how they operate. How they work. Uh, how the different locks work. What what the you know, get your eyes on the different parts of the snare setup, and I, I think you will uh, start to become familiar with it to the point where you'll you'll become comfortable um, with how how they're used. But there are uh, so many different ways that you can set up a snare, and you, the cool thing about it is you can tailor these things to do whatever you want to do with them in particular. And uh, of course, that's going to vary depending on your target animal, your state regulations, and everything in between. But I hope this was a good introduction to snares and snare construction. I think I will probably try to do a future episode on um, going beyond the actual snare and what it does and talk about kind of some beginner snaring methods and and how to set these up and, and how to use them to catch animals effectively. So we'll save that for another time. But thanks, guys, for listening in. Appreciate it. As always, it's great to have you here. Um, sorry for the long hiatus between episodes, but um, I will try to be back in another month to uh, have a, a new podcast episode out. I hope you'll stay tuned for that. Be sure to check out my store, trappingtodaystore.com, and pick up the book, More Than Wolverine and Alaska Wilderness Trapline. Very much appreciated. Take care, guys. Till next time. Even though it's the off-season, maybe you ought to do some thinking of trapping, talking trapping, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care.